Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Not really very hopeful updates as far as the Bucks' injuries are concerned. Found out today that Donovan Smith uh, did not practice. He, of course, has the hyperextended elbow. Same was true with Chris Godwin, who has a hamstring pull. Really don't expect to see him in this game. Smith would be more of a sort of an urgency because you're going to have to play a backup like Josh Wells against that New Orleans Saints defense. So kind of problematic. Um, other players who were, you know, limited to some extent or or not practicing. Leonard Fournette has, has a, a hamstring. He was limited, I believe. I, I'm not concerned about most of these guys. You know, we asked Todd Bowles if any of the other receivers were, were major concerns for this Sunday, and he didn't seem to say that they were, even though guys like Russell Gage didn't practice. Uh, Mike Evans, I think, uh, was limited uh, with a calf injury. He's been wearing like a band on his calf, I think. So there's, you know, it's that time of year, right? When you're playing football, uh, coming off a game, you want to give these guys as much time to recover as possible. And keep in mind as well, that this was a night game. It was a Sunday night game. And those hours are, are vital, uh, not just the days, but um, the time in between. And there hasn't been that much time. So Wednesday's practice was not very promising from an injury standpoint. Don't know exactly where Tom Brady was. I, I think, you know, again, he's going to take a lot of Wednesdays off, a lot of days off during the week to preserve that arm and, and just make sure the, the bumps and bruises go away. So not concerned about that as well. Had a chance to to listen to Jameis Winston in his news conference in New Orleans on Wednesday. If you remember, you know, it was last Halloween that Jameis Winston was injured, suffered a torn ACL when he was uh, taken down on a horse collar by Devin White, and that's sort of why they're trying to to outlaw that that particular play. It ended his season. He had he was 7 and 3 at the time. He had thrown 14 touchdowns and three interceptions. You never want to have a season-ending injury, but it was particularly crushing for Winston because this was his chance, right? Drew Brees had retired. They brought him back again this season, and in the first game, the Saints were horrible for about three quarters. And then Winston rallied them from a 16-point deficit in the fourth quarter, was very, very good, threw for over 200 yards in that in that quarter alone. And so, you know, the Saints are loaded. I mean, look, they've got – three really good receivers that are going to be a handful for the Bucks to try to cover as good as their secondary is, whether you're talking about Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, the rookie from Ohio State, or Jarvis Landry, who's been in this league for a long time. All of those guys played very, very well and helped Jameis Winston you know, come back. They were vulnerable on defense. They gave up some rushing yards. That might bode well for the Bucks. I would imagine they will come with a similar game plan they had against Dallas to try to protect Tom Brady with with the running game, get that going with Leonard Fournette. But we'll talk more about this game as the week goes on. It was interesting listening to Jameis say, you know, how he has no hard feelings, obviously, about what happened last year. Devin White apologized shortly after the game. He knew he was just 
you know, trying to make a football play. And, and as he said, you know, that, that happens in this game. You know, guys get hurt. And he spent a lot of time rehabbing, coming back. Uh, and, you know, he looks at the Bucks nowadays sort of, or he says, as just another team. Folks, it's not just another team. Um, he certainly is anxious to beat everybody, but he wants to beat the Bucks in the worst way. And we all know that, what it would mean to him. And, you know, this game is big from an early season standpoint only because it's an NFC South game. This is the other team that many people are picking to win the division. And the Bucks, we know what their schedule is after this. they got to come home for their home opener against the Green Bay Packers, who weren't very good in their first game, but you know they're going to get better. And then it's the Kansas City Chiefs who look terrific and have Patrick Mahomes and are still very, very good following the Packers. So that's a tough four-game gauntlet. And if you get this one, uh, it sort of you know counts double in a sense because you'd have a game up on the Saints in the division, which you're trying to win. Now, they won the division without beating the Saints a year ago. In fact, the Bucks have lost seven straight games uh, in the regular season to the Saints. They, and Todd Bowles told his team on Wednesday, he, he got up there and said, look, you know, this group here in the last three years has lost, I think it's six out of seven, the, the exception being the game in the NFC Divisional Playoff that you know eventually sent them to Green Bay and the Super Bowl. He said, but it's not a rivalry if it's one-sided. If, if the same team keeps winning, this isn't much of a rivalry. So he's challenged his guys. We'll see how they respond. But I'm looking forward to 1 o'clock on Sunday in New Orleans. It's going to be uh, going to be quite a scene when we finally get there. All right, the good thing is we've got Matt Baker to talk about college football, all the upsets last Saturday, as well as some games on tap, including USF is at Florida. But first, I want to remind you guys that uh, if you want to save some money on an electric bill, we've got the way you can do that. May Electric Solar. It's a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems for 12 years now. There's a lot of these companies out there, fly-by-night, what have you. May Electric is committed to you for the long term. They guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That is the May difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, May Electric displays all kinds of products. They conduct on-site testing. You can see exactly what they'll install. Plus, they don't use subcontractors, so you know exactly who's going to do the job. So start saving today. Call the solar energy experts at May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, and preserve the quality of your life and the quality of your appliances. That's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, favorite time of the week. We get a chance to talk with Matt Baker, who covers college football for us at the Tampa Bay Times. And Matt, what happened in your sport on Saturday last week? It was (laughs) as crazy an upset Saturday as I can remember. Uh, Teams that uh, typically would just be almost like preseason games were, were winning uh, Florida, after a big win, they they fall to Kentucky. So just give me the macro here. I guess, you know, in the NFL, they say, well, their players get paid too. Maybe that's what's happening with the NILs at Marshall and, uh, and places like Appalachian State. I don't know. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So I, I think there is a little bit of that, right? I mean, with, with NIL and how that is. But I think if you want to, like, pinpoint something, it's the transfer portal. And how much mm-hmm. easier it is for talent to go from one to the other. So yeah. you know, we'll, we'll talk. Let's let's start with Marshall and, and Notre Dame. Marshall mm-hmm. has a boatload of transfers, and you know, the the one who jumped out to me was Kalen LeBorn, 
who, um, you know, some FSU fans will remember his name. He was a, I believe he was a five-star running back. He famously committed to the Seminoles. I think it was at the opening by rolling up in a Lamborghini, which is very (laughs) understated. Um, And was, you know, one of the top, I think he was the top running back recruit in that class. Uh, Cam Akers was a top athlete. LeBorn was a top running back. Obviously, he, he didn't work out at FSU. He got hurt, ran into trouble, ends up, you know, uh, kind of flaming out, and I, I thought his college career was over. I had no idea he was at Marshall until I'm watching the game Saturday in the press box, and I hear his name like, oh, oh, he's there. So clearly he has talent, and, and you know he had 100-and-something yards, and uh, he's a guy that absolutely could have played at Notre Dame. Notre Dame probably looked into him when he was at FSU, and now he's at Marshall and beating them, and, and he wasn't the only type of high-profile transfer that Marshall has. I think to some degree, it's the same thing at Appalachian State, uh, Appalachian State, excuse me. There you go. Appalachian Mountains, Appalachian State. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same thing there where, you know, the starting quarterback, Chase Bryce, again, a lot of diehard college football fans will remember that name. There was It was uh, a couple years ago when Trevor Lawrence was hurt at Clemson. Bryce yeah. came off the bench. I think they were playing Syracuse and led them in the, to a second half comeback to win and keep that, that championship season alive. So sure. and then he was at Duke uh, uh, later in his career, now at App State. So again, he's another guy that could have been playing for Texas A&M. He had that kind of talent and for whatever reason it didn't work and now he's playing against him. Um, so I think that's kind of, if you're looking for one overarching reason why there's chaos, that to me is it. Where um, you, you just look across the sport, it, the talent goes up and down more. Because, you know, we talked about guys going up, but there's guys going down, too. I'm sure, you know, A&M's had some guys that, you know, might have been depth in previous years, but they leave for greener pastures through the portal. And that just means means there's more parity. And, and I can tell you this just doing my AP ballot, uh, my AP Top 25 ballot. At the beginning of the year, I think we talked about it. There were, there was Bama, Georgia, and Ohio State. One, two, three, three, two, one. Pick your order. Mm-hmm. And I had pretty much no idea four through 25. And that just tells me that there, there's not a great second tier or third tier. Everybody's kind of mashed up. And in terms of the playoff race at the start of the year, that might have sounded boring. But where we are right now, it's Leap making a very, very fun season. And we'll have a very exciting push for those final couple playoff spots. It's a great point. All these uh, transfer portals allowing guys to – good players from uh, big programs getting a chance at other places. I knew it was weird when I flipped on the radio – to hear my Arkansas State Red Wolves, and their quarterback is one James Blackman. Right? I didn't even know he had <laughs> eligibility left. I think he played like in 2017 or something like that, but geez. I, I, I had to double-check the eligibility because um, somebody else pointed <laughs> out to he's been around for a 1,000 years. But yeah, he, you know, again, FSU fans know this, but he uh, came off the bench. DeAndre Francois got hurt the 2017 right. opener in Atlanta against Alabama. Blackman came in, played you know a couple snaps at the end of that game, and then started the rest of the season. Then redshirted uh, in in eighteen, I think it was twenty twenty, was the free COVID year, and mm-hmm. you know added all up, and yeah, he still has this final year of eligibility for for your beloved uh, Red Wolves. Happy to have him. Uh, didn't help us much against Ohio State, but uh, that's another story because they're Ohio State. Um, okay, so you were at the University of Florida. I mean, we saw what they were able to do uh, the first week against Utah. They were terrific, uh, and then all of a sudden they're not so terrific, and it comes down to Anthony Richardson. I I bit the hook. I went all the way in and said, boy, oh, boy, I bet Dan Mullen wish he'd have stuck with this guy, and then maybe he showed us why Dan Mullen didn't stick with this guy at least last year. 
How do you go from such a, a wipeout performance that he had in week one um, to a disastrous performance in week two with a couple interceptions, a pick six? And the really surprising thing was no rushing yards to speak, like four yards. It was just, it was just a total difference. Yeah, four yards on six carries. So let's start with that. The the explanation they gave after the game is that Kentucky did a really good job of containing him, where the you know the running lanes that were there against Utah weren't there against Kentucky. So at least to some degree, chalk that up to, to Mark Stoops being a very good defensive line and heck of a coach at Kentucky um, to say, you know what, we're not going to let that guy beat us with his legs. He's going to have to use his arm, and, and we can let ETN and Montreal Johnson and those guys if somebody's going to run, it'll be them and not not Anthony Richardson. Um, I think some of it is Florida was did a little bit less design stuff. Um, and I don't know if, again, that's just what they saw against Kentucky or the fact that they don't have depth at the position, so they can't afford losing Anthony Richardson um, to an injury. And he might have gotten a little bit dinged up, although he said he was fine after the game. But to kind of the larger point on – I mean, I bit the hook too. I, I thought he was – I mean, look, you, we, call, we all see the talent, right? Like, we're, we're not. Oh, no, there's no we, question. We, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, I think, look, week one overreaction, there, there are so many stories that I've written and others have written that make no sense at the, at the end of the year because week one weird stuff happens. Mm-hmm. It does. You know, especially with a new staff, Utah probably didn't know exactly what to expect with a, you know, a fairly new quarterback, new staff, all that stuff. And then later in the season, it gets figured out. So that's kind of one explanation for it. Um, the other explanation is, let's remember what Billy Napier said in the offseason. Um, he was, you know, everybody was trying to hype up Anthony Richardson as the God's gift to quarterbacks and this, that, and the other because of the talent and all that stuff. But Billy would say, yeah, he's completed 39 passes. The, the good ones at Florida do that in a game. And he has completed 39 in his career. Everyone wants to crown him. Let's Let's let him do this first. And Billy wasn't being mean. He, he I think he was, to, one, to some degree, trying to just kind of lessen the hype around Anthony. But, look, this was his third career start. And they've yeah. all three against, been against really, really good teams, by the way. So they're going to have that. He is a young quarterback. Almost every young quarterback, an inexperienced quarterback, is going to have games like this where they make mistakes and uh, you know things don't go right. And, and honestly, this is just kind of who... Anthony is at this point not not the lack of running that his that was a surprise that he didn't do more there but just about every game he's played or really now I think about every game he's played there's been at least one or two really bad decisions you, know, you can go back there was one against Vanderbilt where he was under pressure threw it up and it was intercepted now against LSU he had something like that uh, Georgia the pick six was a clear miscommunication throws it right at the guy uh, there was one against Utah where again under pressure throws it up it probably should have been intercepted, but it was not. And then the two disastrous ones against Kentucky, one where he tried to use a different arm angle to get it around a really, really good six three six five linebacker, and it didn't work. And then the miscommunication, that was the pick six, looked just like the Georgia game. So this is just kind of who he is at this point. He is going to make a couple decisions where you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And usually... He's going to make so many, oh my God, how did he do that, plays on the other side of it, that it'll wash out or the explosives will win out. And it's just that mm. uh, due to how Kentucky played him um, and kind of the game plan, he didn't have those explosives that uh, negated the the terrible picks that ended up costing the Gators against Kentucky. Yeah, and, and not surprising, I think, too, that 
um, when you, you know, you've always said this, Matt, you're dealing with, you know, 17, 18, all the way up to what now, sometimes 24 year old kids. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how far they go nowadays. Um, but you know, the emotions of college football, you get a big win like that. It was, it was their first time out of the box in Napier. And then, you know, sometimes you ride a little high in the saddle. Look, Kentucky is a good football team. I mean, that's what we're overlooking here, right? They, they could do some stuff this year. (laughs) Absolutely. It's just funny how much things change. Because week, you know, before week one, I, I think I've said seven and five was, was yeah. where, where I had been with the Gators, maybe six and six. I, that, sure. I was pretty steady on that all offseason. And then you look at how they played against Utah. And mm-hmm. I start thinking, man, these guys can go nine and three because mm-hmm. the receivers, which I thought were a weakness, played much better than I expected against Utah. And, mm-hmm. you know, Anthony Richardson, like we talked about, where he, I thought he could make more you know, Mullen's thing was always, yeah, you can make the spectacular plays, kind of generally speaking, but can you make the unspectacular plays? And I thought Anthony had raised his level to where he could make all the unspectacular plays and then a handful of spectacular plays a game. And then the defense that was so bad the last couple of years played a lot better against Utah. So suddenly I buy in and think it could happen. And then what happened against Kentucky was, well, the defense was a lot better. But Anthony Richardson showed he was still inexperienced, and the receivers didn't help him by dropping a handful of passes. And that, so, you know, the Gators are probably right about where I, you know, where, where realistic Florida fans would have taken a one and one start. And that's where right. they are. It just came across really weird. Um, and then, yeah, Kentucky is a really good team. Will Levis, dude, has an arm, he is tough. Yeah. I mean, he he looked absolutely like a first round pick to me, and the you know however many mm-hmm. I think there were fifteen different teams, uh, including three scout there are three reps from the Bucks in that game, and Kentucky's defense is still really good. Where you know Mark Stoops just became the winningest coach in the history of Kentucky, passing some Bear Bryant fellow, and he did <laughs> it by beating Florida, which is something that you know not long ago would have been unheard of or was unheard of for Kentucky, but that's where he's raised that program where they win three out of the last five against the Gators, and it's not a surprise anymore. Yeah, unthinkable in the past, but now not so much. Um, you'll be at the Florida game. We'll talk about the other games in the States and the other upsets in particular. Um, but I wanted to, since we're on Florida, they play USF. Um, USF heads up the road to Gainesville. They straighten some things out, I guess, against Howard with a 42-20 to 20 win uh, against them. These two coaches, pretty interesting story you wrote in the Tampa Bay Times and on TampaBay.com. Uh, have lots of familiarity. They were on the same staff at Clemson together. Jeff Scott uh, was with Billy Napier. So there's some familiarity, but it would seem that USF, you know, needs to, needs a big win. They, they, they obviously would welcome any kind of an upset against Florida. Uh, but this, this is a step up in class for them and it, it's going to be a tough, tough duty. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. It is. Um, you know, I, I think Jeff Scott said something last year along the lines of like, look, Every coach or player at USF, if Florida wanted them, they would have been there, right? Like, that's just the reality of it. Um, now, USF's got some some transfers who have some high-level experience. Obviously, we talked about uh, we talked about Gary Bohan, the quarterback from from Baylor, and you know, Jeterian Hansford. Um, it was a defensive end for USF who he was 2-2 two and two against the Gators when he was at Mizzou and had a pretty big sack uh, against Florida last year in Columbia, which helped get Dan Mullen sacked. So he -hmm. he, he can play against these guys because I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, But yeah, just depth, talent, everything else. Florida is the, I think they're a three score favorite. And I absolutely buy that. 
I'm just yeah. kind of trying to see if USF, from the Florida perspective, this is a get-right game for them, sure. where I, I'm sure this has not been a fun week of practice, uh, <laughs> just kind of reliving everything and all those this, the little mistakes that led to the Kentucky loss. But this is a chance to correct that and get this, get some positive vibes going before they're at Tennessee next week. And USF, I think this is a chance just to kind of show that maybe they can hang with a team like this better than they did against BYU in the opener. Um, and that they're getting closer to that level where they can compete. And, you know, again, USF should lose to Florida just about every year, but they shouldn't get blown out either. So maybe this is a step for them to kind of show that we're taking baby steps and moving in the right direction still. Sure. Well, it's a third game. You start to iron out some of the kinks and get your identity and, and they, and you're right. They need to, need to start having more even performances. One of the things you mentioned, I was reading the story that I, uh, I and I haven't seen him play um, yet, but how good is Trevor Etienne compared to a high bar his brother set, Travis? <laughs> you can see it. You can absolutely see it. Um, I, I, I unfortunately didn't get to see Travis Etienne. I only saw him, I think, once in person. It was the 17 ACC title game because, unfortunately, Florida State was – not has not been good the last couple of years, so I haven't haven't seen a lot of Clemson in person. But it, he he was pretty unremarkable that game as a freshman. Um, then obviously later he was unbelievable and one of the best backs in ACC history. But that's not hyperbole; that's just fact. Um, and, and little Etn, you can see it. He's explosive. He cuts well. He jukes well. Uh, w- Look, I really like Montrell Johnson, the running back uh, Florida added out of Louisiana uh, Lafayette. Maybe yeah. Wright has been a fine player for the Gators as well. But when ETN comes in, and again, this has only been two games, but when right. he comes in, you can see just an extra flash, an extra bit of explosiveness. And yeah, mm. I, you know, Jeff Scott was raving about him because Scott obviously cl- coached his older brother at Clemson. And so Jeff was raving, raving about him the other day. And yeah, you could you can see why it's. You know, I'm not saying he's going to be one of the leading rushers in SEC history or anything like that, but you, he, he's got a lot of talent. He has a lot of talent. Yeah, and it certainly uh, will have a chance to display it on Saturday against USF. Going back to the upsets, um, and college game day, by the way, is, is going to be at App State, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, they are. Right? I mean, they're playing Troy. Um, but uh, I, I'll tell you, one of the best viral videos I, I've seen um, is the reaction up there in Boone, North Carolina, after that win? And they, the students, <laughs> just hauling uh, from different directions uh, to a huge celebration there on the main street it was really fun to watch. It so it's going to be wild on College Game Day. But look, they took on Texas A and M. All I heard about Texas A and M, and even you know, Nick Saban was complaining. And I, you buy all these players, yeah, I, you know, all these guys that Jimbo bought. And boom, they, they lay the biggest egg maybe in College Station history of, of late. Uh, how does this happen this far into Jimbo's program? So there's a couple explanations. Um, one is maybe they kind of overlooked him. Um, one, you know, the other one we talked about with, with Appalachians, uh, you know, App State being good, you know, it, where these things just kind of happen. That's the, the era we, we live in. But this is also just kind of where Jimbo is right now right like Mm -hmm. let's be real go back i'm not saying he's a bad coach there's some uh florida state fans i know that think he was a bum because oh yeah take away what he did with Jameis and he did nothing well okay yeah take away the 29 consecutive wins in the national championship and he stinks (laughs) like yeah come on yeah let's let's ignore the fact that he signed Jameis 
but recruited him, evaluated him, signed him, developed him, and then coached him to those 29 Well, and, and here to tell you, let me raise my hand and say, after five years of watching Jameis in the NFL, and I know it's not college football, you have to do some coaching with him. This is, you, you know, you, you just don't turn him loose for obvious reasons uh, or you get a whole lot of interceptions and pick sixes. So Jimbo did some work there. He did, and he deserves credit for it. Um, but let's also look at Jimbo um, and just kind of his tenure. Because yeah. at the end at Florida State, things did not go well. Mm-mm. And there was one every year where it just is an inexcusable head-scratching result. In 2014, there was no shame in losing to Oregon in the semifinal. But they lost 59-20. to 20. That was bad. 2015, they, they got beat double digits by Houston in the Peach Bowl. Again, that's not necessarily bad losing to Houston in the Peach Bowl, but double digits, no. 2016, the 63-20 to 20 game at Louisville, who the Knowles play th- this week, uh, that, that was that's a, skull, a score that is burned into my skull because it was so shocking. Not that Florida State would lose but that they would lose by 43 points. And 2017, you know, you can go, the main one that jumped out, they had a, a big loss, 35-3 to three to Boston College. And then there were similar ones at A&M where it wasn't just that they didn't look good, it's that they had some very unimpressive performances that, look, this is just who Jimbo is at this point. There's going to be a dud every single year. Um, mm. He has not proven himself to be much higher than a, good coach at this point i mean that's why it was so stunning to me i wasn't stunned when a&m gave him the the 10-year 75 million fully guaranteed contract but we talked about on the show it was stunning to me when they extended him when he hadn't really done anything yet the the goal at texas a&m is to win national championships that that is the goal they literally gave him a plaque when he started with a a national championship plaque fill in the year Mm. and so far he's kevin someone Yes, they had the Alabama win, and that was fantastic. And they're recruiting at a high level. And realistically, A&M was probably a year away from playoff talk this year. Next year, when, when they're, you know, they're number one class, greatest ever, they're sophomores, then we can probably talk more about playoff and everything. But losing at home to App State, where you ran, I think it was only 38 plays, that tells you something's wrong. And, and it's, it's on Jimbo, because he, either he's not signing the right, the right guys or not coaching them up right. And it's the archaic system he runs, where he has been stubborn to change, where in terms of when do you go for it on, on fourth down, that type of stuff, in terms of tempo, because A&M has better dudes than just about anybody in the country. They should try to run more plays to give their dudes more opportunities. And he's been running at a glacial pace since he was at Florida State. So this is just who Jimbo is at this point. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I know he's won a national championship. Reminds me, and I say this of James Franklin all the time, really good recruiter, runs a good program, terrible game day coach. You know, just uh, so there's going to be yeah. one of these days where you just go, wow, how did they lose to them? And and here we are, uh, you know, Jimbo Fisher with a, with a big loss already. And there were plenty of those. You mentioned Marshall, Notre Dame. I mean, it was just that kind of week, and, and I think we've we've hit on, you know, college football and how, how it's begun to change. Um 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So let's look. Let's look forward. Florida State plays at Louisville Friday. Uh, I don't know how good Louisville is, but anytime you can get a road win against a team like that, it would be big. They certainly need to bounce back. What do you make of this contest? I don't know how good Louisville is either. I, I don't have a read on them. You know, they lost by twenty-four in the opener to Syracuse, which that, that one was a shocking result to me. Syracuse has a really good running back, but. Look, I think Dino Babers kind of, I think a lot of people thought he'd be on the hot seat this year at Syracuse. And to, for them to go out and destroy Louisville the way they did was shocking. Then Louisville comes back the next week and has a pretty nice win at UCF. It wasn't the prettiest game, but still, they, they, they beat a, a solid UCF team on the road. Um, I like Malik Cunningham, the, the Louisville quarterback. He's very shifty. Um, he's not Lamar Jackson. I, I, know, I haven't seen very many Lamar Jacksons. Um, but he's still a very nice runner. And, and this is a really big game for FSU. Obviously, it's, it's a conference game, division game, on the road. Friday night, things weird things happen on, on weeknights, particularly at a, at a place like Louisville. But I just kind of want to see how they responded, how FSU responded from the off week um, after the LSU game. And were they able to kind of continue improving and putting things together? Because... They are, they are absolutely good enough to beat Louisville. And then once you're 3-0, and you got a chance to kind of really get on a roll here and, and show that things are different in Tallahassee. Yeah, and we should have uh, mentioned this this game uh, when we were talking about Jimbo. Miami is at Texas A&M. I think Miami's got a little bit of momentum. Love their head coaching just uh, higher. Uh, is, this, is this a good Miami football team? They're at least pretty good. Um, I'm not sure yet because, you know, they, they crushed Bethune in the opener. Okay. You did what you're supposed to do. Good job. Congratulations. Um, they were not great early against Southern Miss. Uh, Mm. they they led at halftime. It was like 10 to seven or 14 to 10 or something like that. It it was very close. And, you know, Miami did again, what they're supposed to do, which is use your superior talent and pull away at the end. But that was a little bit too close for comfort for, for, for me uh, when I look at, when I watch that game. So, I, this is this is the test, right? Because A and M, despite their struggles, are still a tremendously talented team. May and probably the second most talented team that that Miami will play this year, other than Clemson. So if Miami doesn't live up to the hype and and, and you know if they play poorly, A and M should beat them. Um, but th- so yeah, this is the the one that I kind of circled early on in the year with Miami. This is when we're going to find out if things are really different. Because they, they absolutely, you know, they've got a great quarterback in Tyler Van Dyke. They've got some guys around him. Defense has been fine. If they're a, an improved, a new Miami, if you will, under Mario, they'll find a way to win in College Station. And I, I just wanted to ask you the, uh, one thing about uh, last week's game. I watched uh, the Alabama-Texas game, and bless their hearts, uh, Texas had every opportunity to win. And they lost their starting quarterback early in the game. Uh, there was a controversial call uh, in the end zone that looked like for all the world a safety, even on the replay to me, or if not grounding. Um, so some weird things happened. Does that change your opinion of Alabama at all? And just how do you have that, that top four or five in your poll right now? 
it weakened them a little bit. Because, again, I still have Bama, Ohio State, Georgia as the three guys at the top. It was just yeah. a matter of what order do you put them in. Right. And at this point, you know, I've got Georgia one. To me, mm-hmm. the, probably the most impressive performance of the year was them crushing Oregon. No, mm-hmm. I still don't know if Oregon's any good. They, Oregon might stink. But based on what I know right now, that's the most impressive performance of the year. Plus, they, they kick the crowd out of Sanford or whoever it was. Ohio State, I've got two. Because, again, the Notre Dame win does not look as impressive. But I still you can still see the talent on that team and what they did to Arkansas State and everything else. So I, I put uh, Bama third is kind of the, the short answer. Just because I still think there's a, t- a clear top three. And then there's a gap. But and, and maybe Texas is really good, right? I mean, they've got a yeah. good amount of talent, no question. I mean, Quinn Ewers, when he was playing, he looked like a five-star quarterback is supposed to look. Bijan Robinson, really good running back, worthy of the receiver. They've got some dudes there. So maybe Texas is really turning it around. And we'll look on this at the end of the year as, you know what? Bama looked, went into Texas, a hostile environment in front of 100,000 people, and found a way to win against a really good team. That, that's certainly how we might look at it at the end of the year. Sure, and that's what great teams do, and they were able to pull it off. BYU is at Oregon, by the way. That's another game I think that's kind of interesting. We'll find out more about Oregon in that one as well. All right, so he's Matt Baker. He will be at Florida, University of South Florida, travels up to Gainesville to see if uh, Billy Napier can get his uh, act back on track. Maybe USF can pull off a huge win, um, but it should be interesting, and you can read about it in the Tampa Bay Times and on tampabay.com. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it, buddy. Sure. Thanks, Rick. Love that college football is back. It's a great time of the year. We've got October coming before long, and that means the Rays are trying to position themselves not so well lately. They've lost five out of six now, including their game on Wednesday night to Toronto. This is starting to slip away a little bit from them. You know, they they were tied. They entered the day tied, I think, for second in the wild card, the American League, with the Seattle Mariners. Uh, don't know what their score is as we do this podcast as far as Seattle goes, but um, not been good. Trouble scoring runs, um, you know, pitching has been up and down. Toronto's the hot team right now. I think they've won like eight out of their last ten and really toasty with the bats, scoring a lot of runs, something the Rays really haven't done all year. So kind of a dip. You know, the Rays were hot there for a while, and now they're starting to come back down to earth. So It was just a uh, week ago that we were talking about the division. Yeah, exactly. And, and they won the first game against the Yankees. Three and a half games back, right? Yeah, they won the first game on Friday night against the Yankees. Yeah. And you're thinking, hey, maybe there is a chance. And then you mm-hmm. got pummeled Saturday and Sunday. Kluber and Patino didn't do very well. And then now you've gone into Toronto. You've lost three of those four with the fifth game yeah. today. And now you're in the third wild card spot and, you know, trying to hold on to that. You know, you've got a you know five or six game lead on the Orioles, but. Nothing's guaranteed yet. Nothing is guaranteed. You're going to have to do it on the field, and they need to get going with the bats and, and you know get a little more uh, stability in the pitching. They're falling behind early in games and just not able to rally with enough runs. So that's been, that's been tough to watch, especially as hot as they were, like you said, just a week ago after beating the Yankees three and a half back in the American League East. You think, well, everything's possible. Now you're just, you know, if you're a Rays fan, you're hoping that they can hang on and make a wild card the way things are going. But – it can turn and uh, can turn quickly, as, as we all know. We're going to preview, of course, the Bucks against the New Orleans Saints. That game Sunday at 1 o'clock in New Orleans should be a really good one. 
as well as your mailbag questions. If you got some questions, you can submit those to us. We only got to a few the other day, so we'll have some time for that as well. You can do that by sending to us on Twitter at SportsDayTB. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud. My email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Just remember, if you're looking to lower your electric bill, call our friends at May Electric Solar. They've been in business for a dozen years. They're going to guarantee their labor, their workmanship with a 30-year warranty. You get $750 worth of surge protection. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, at 727-819-2862. Schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill, and do it now. May Electric Solar, 727-819-2862. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstink, I'm Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.